Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is a co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, so let's waste no more time, shall we? Hit us up on those social media accounts at ODPH Podcast, because we because we definitely want to interact with you and carry the conversation on after the show because there is so much to digest of the NBA playoffs that we need to take that extra time to really deep dive, especially with what's going on in the Eastern Conference. But before we get there, Pat's going to take us around the league and show us what's going on. Yeah, so when we talked last week, the only series decided was between Phoenix and Denver. Uh, the other series got finalized, and that was where the Clippers beat the Jazz by a final score of 4-2. to So out west, you have the Clippers and Phoenix uh, playing. Uh, out east, the Atlanta Hawks beat the Philadelphia 76ers uh, by a final score of 4-3. to And then you had the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Brooklyn Nets four to three. So out east in your conference finals, the matchup is Atlanta and Milwaukee. Absolutely wild scenario to see going on. So we'll kind of lightly touch upon, I would say, the lesser stories, even though they still are noteworthy, and that is the Western Conference. Because Phoenix has been definitely setting the pace, and nobody is really following them as much as the Eastern Conference. They're sneaking in there. Devin Booker is becoming the superstar we've all been waiting on him to. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul, even though he is not there, he is currently out on COVID protocol. Yep. Has definitely left that team in a good position to go and really make a statement. Obviously, winning game one against the LA Clippers was no easy task, but yet Booker dropping 40 points to set that pace early, especially without Chris Paul. That's the, that is the big takeaway of this. Yeah. The fact that Booker has led this team and they don't have their true MVP on the court. And let's face it, mm-hmm. without Chris Paul, is this team even in the playoffs? No. It's a debatable question because they've always had the talent between Booker and Aiden, but this is where we finally get to see the true emergence of the promise of this team. We haven't seen this before, but we finally get it. Coach Williams has done a phenomenal job this season getting them there, but Chris Paul was the missing piece of the puzzle. Has anybody ever thought of that before the season? No. I would not think he'd have that impact, but he sure enough did. And then you'd see the Clippers emerging, taking the series away from Utah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying when they wound up being the number one seed, and it does throw it off because you have to think about it. We're not getting enough hype about what's going on in the Western Conference compared to the storylines of the East, and that's why I say I'm pausing a little bit because the Clippers have now snuck in to those conference finals. Are they finally living up to their potential? Because obviously we talk about star players getting with star players. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they should have been the team last year. Didn't happen. Yeah. Obviously they've gone through a lot of structural change in the Clippers organization over the past couple of years. So now this is their team, and this team has always been one in a state of flux. It's not the dominant franchise that is the Lakers. No. They've been emerging. But well, and, and I would say, are they the team they should be? Jury still out because let's remember they faced Memphis in the first round, one versus an eight, should have beat Memphis, and they did. 
And then they faced Utah in the second round, which Utah was the one seed, but the Clippers were very clearly on paper better than the Jazz were, so they should have beaten the Jazz, and mm-hmm. they did. Phoenix is their first real test, I would say. Yeah, and Phoenix is definitely ready for him. I mean, that is just showing where the level of commitment is different here. And I know it's game one, and maybe we're kind of looking a little too much into it, but to see how this is matching up, like or in any other season, this would be what we're talking about. And this would be the most dominant thing of the playoffs right now is how the Western Conference, oh, man, look at these two great teams going against each other, Phoenix and L.A. No. The biggest stories of this playoff are coming out of the Eastern Conference. And how Pat touched upon, our finals are now Atlanta and Milwaukee. Yeah. And how crazy that scenario is because when you take a look at how this all shaped up, and I want to jump in first with probably the biggest story of all and that is Brooklyn not making it past the second round. Mm-hmm. And they were upset by Milwaukee in a pivotal game seven. And this is really bringing a lot of questions to go because when Brooklyn jumped out to that 2 nothing lead, and especially after game two, when they won 125-86. to And then game three, we all thought, okay, it's done. Milwaukee had their backs against the wall, and yet they found a way, found a way to fight back. And, I mean, obviously, game three, Milwaukee did sneak that out. And then when it was all tied up, we weren't sure what was going to happen. Obviously, injuries happened with Kyrie Irving. James Harden was struggling as well, too. Uh, hamstring injury, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And Kyrie had a very bad ankle sprain. Yeah, Kyrie was ruled out for the rest of the series. And, and I even remember reading going, okay, if it's a high ankle sprain, there's no way he's playing the conference finals if they make it through. Oh, absolutely not. And we know that Kyrie has had his fair share of injuries this, you know, over the past years. So this was something that Brooklyn was you know, obviously going to have to deal with. And Kevin Durant did all he could to carry this team. We have to remember that. And then even when he put him on their, his back, and especially when the series was tied and he was really trying to make his statement made and sneaking out that game five, that was a must-win situation. And him, he had to drop at least 40. I know we talked about that on yeah. the show. Wound up dropping 45. Sure enough, he got him back in that series. But kudos to Milwaukee. Because what did they do? They scrapped. It was an ugly win to get back in that game six. And game seven was not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. And to see now that Milwaukee has advanced, Pad, Mm -hmm. what is your initial takeaways from this? About damn time. Yeah, you have to think it. Because Giannis and company have been a force in the Eastern Conference for a while now. And everybody thought that they would ascend to those finals finally and get there and really make their big presence felt and really do everything they needed to. And then we finally see that they get there, albeit, though, not the easiest road. They did have everything they could do, but Kevin Durant challenged them the entire way. I don't want to say Brooklyn fully did. No. But it was Kevin Durant, and I will give him his due. He balled out as much as he physically could. Especially after sitting out for a year. Yes. We have to remember that, too, because when he and Kyrie signed with Brooklyn, everybody already started penciling them when they were fully back to 100%. Because oh, yeah. ACL injuries for basketball are a lot like elbow injuries for a pitcher in baseball. Mm-hmm. The, the time to frame on a pitcher to return from an elbow injury is a year. Yes. When you'll see him back on the mound. Every pitcher and, and pitching coach will tell you, 
it's a year and a half before you're back because you have to take all that time once you're able to start throwing again to build up your arm strength and, and get back to where you were, which, let's face it, doesn't happen overnight. Same thing for basketball. Yes, and obviously coming back from a very bad ACL injury, we haven't really heard about players coming back to this level. I think the only no. time that it's happened in history is what, Dominique Wilkins and, yeah. and Kobe? A handful, it's a small handful. Yeah, you don't come back in this, the, the way that Kevin Durant has. So I will give him that credit because – I know I really have voiced my uh, displeasure. displeasure for him, but I will give him his due. It's one of those rivalry things we have that he showed up, he carried this team as far as he could on his back. He has to be applauded for that. Am I going to say he's the greatest player in New York City basketball history? No. Coach might. <laughs> Coach has to come in the studio and defend those comments. I am saying, though, he did everything he could, and then when we get down to game seven, where it's pivotal, he showed up. And I have to give him his credit about that. Durant wound up dropping 48. In like 53 minutes played. Uh-huh. But Milwaukee held on, even though there were a couple pivotal moments that they really shifted momentum back to Brooklyn. Arguably, when they had the lead late in that fourth quarter and they botched the inbounds with Brooke Lopez didn't realize the shot clock was going off. It's a violation. Brooklyn gets the ball back. And then when the inbounds comes in, Kevin Durant throws up this crazy shot. Mm-hmm. And if his foot was not on the three-point line, it would have been ball game. And we would have been talking about a whole different scenario I'm here. I'm sure some people are out there screaming and uh, his foot wasn't. Oh, I know. They can scream all they want, but the replay showed it. He did hit that line, so he made it a two-point shot, tied it, and sent it to overtime. And by this point, too, you have to give Milwaukee the credit here because momentum completely shifted. They should not have been anywhere near ready to finish this game because they literally gave Brooklyn this to win. Well, and I think at that point Milwaukee was doing bend, don't break. They knew they weren't going to be able to contain them. You know, the dam was already had made a lot of cracks in it, so it's only, listen, we ain't going to be able to fix it immediately. Let, let fix, the, fix it immediately. Let's just do patch jobs and try to hold. Yes, but they wound up hanging on just enough. And like you say, we have to give Milwaukee credit. They scrapped, especially when this was a series that was dead and gone. They came and bounced back and did what they had to do to win. So I applaud them for that. That Now they get to move on. The narrative is Milwaukee finally got over the hump. They're in the conference finals. Where they're going to go from here, we'll get to in just a second. But I guess now we have to throw the focus back to Brooklyn. Yeah. You came in the season with a lot of hype, Nets fans. Mm-hmm. You had Kevin Durant coming back, ready to rock and roll. Kyrie Irving was there. A public plea for James Harden to get traded to Brooklyn did come through. He was not in 100% shape, in my opinion. No. So you get him there. The chemistry is obviously working to some degree. You guys are having a great season. And yet we get to the playoffs – and injuries happen, and the rest of the team outside of those three gentlemen, subpar. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at the stat line. They did not really help out where they needed to. No, I mean, and you can probably count on the 
on two hands the number of times all three guys played together. I mean, well, let's be real. They had a pretty good season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they finished second place in the Atlantic Division. Uh, the 76ers finished first. Uh, but Brooklyn finished with a 48-24 and record, uh, only one game back. They were 26-16 and in the conference, 8-4 and in the division, 28-8 and at home, 20-16 and at home. Uh, two and two in overtime. So they had a very good season, but I think just it was just the injury bug that, you know, there was just not enough. To, obviously, Harden and Durant had, had had chemistry together. That came from their time in Oklahoma City. Mm. Now, probably took a little bit of getting used to again because Durant's played a significant amount of time without Harden. Harden's played a significant amount of time without Durant. So it's just kind of that. But there's that familiarity. You know, we know each other. They know the game. They haven't really changed a lot much. We just got to kind of rewire this stuff in our brain on what to do. But where the issue I think came from was outside of maybe the Olympics or an all-star game maybe, they haven't really played with Kyrie. And you have to build that rapport. You have to build that familiarity, you know, like in, like in an NFL game. You know, if you've got a wide receiver who's been with a quarterback, like Tom Brady and Deion Branch always come to mind for me, mm-hmm. where Brady could look at Branch, not say a damn word, and Branch knew he wants me to audible and go this way instead of the way I'm supposed to go. The, you know, they didn't have that with Durant and Kyrie and Harden and Kyrie. And let's face it, with all the injuries and all the off the court issues, you know, with certain players, yeah, they never had that chance to do it, and I think it hurt him in the long run. I agree with you. I think the the issues with Kyrie, whatever was going on, that he was leaving the team and coming back for like three weeks. Yeah, his own leisure, as it appeared, in my opinion, really hurt the chemistry of this team to really build something. Because when you have a player that's not there, and the perception is reality and it's perceived that he's not fully 100% all in, and we know that he's had issues with teammates in the past, looking at Cleveland, looking at Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the situation he came in. Say, Lord knows if there was anything at Duke. Yeah, I mean, you can go back further in time, but I mean, I'm sorry. If you can't play with LeBron and you're winning championships and you have a dynasty getting ready to be built in Cleveland, I'm sorry. Like, there is a problem, and then especially when he went to Boston, and that was his team. Oh, my God, yeah. And then suddenly he's gone and doesn't want to come back. And, like, there's something there that you have to watch. As much as you want to be a fan of the player, you have to watch what that's going on. When a man tells a child at a hospital, I'm never leaving this city, and then he leaves, you got to question his character. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of issues that were going on I ain't making that shit up. Look up the tape. Facts. You can definitely look that up if you want to. It did happen. So now the question is for this offseason, okay, where do we go from here? It's going to be real interesting because I pulled up the Brooklyn Nets free agents as of this uh, offseason, and they have eight. So they are uh, Spencer uh, Dinwiddle, mm-hmm. uh, who is an unrestricted free agent. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Green, who is an unrestricted free agent. Tyler Johnson, who is an unrestricted free agent. Bruce Brown Jr., who is a restricted free agent. Blake Griffin, who is an unrestricted free agent. Mike James, who is a uh, restricted free agent. Reggie Perry, who is a restricted free agent, and then also Chris uh, Chioza, who is a restricted free agent. So that's a lot of pieces you got to figure in there and figure out what you're going to do and if you're not going to keep hold on to them, uh, replace the parts. But the real interesting part is you have to factor that in with next year mm. because I thought, hmm, I'm just kind of curious. Let's look at what they got for uh, free agents next year. Uh, Harden, Durant, and Kyrie all have potential outs. So you've got that looming overhead. And let's face it, if you've got another season of injury issues, failed potential, and off-the-court absences, excused or not, uh, I would not put it past one of those three individuals because, let's face it, any three of those, well, two out of three, I'd say at this point, 
you can probably guess what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. decide to leave, there's 20-whatever, 30-whatever, you know, take the number of teams in the NBA and subtract Brooklyn. There's that many number of teams that would go, yeah, hi, come play for us. I would not put it past any three of those individuals to go, see ya. I have to agree with you. I think that you really have to watch how this team is going to be operating because now they were served up a piece of humble pie that for forming the super team that everybody thought was going to run away with it, you didn't make it past the second round. You have to deal with your crosstown rivals Mm -hmm. who are now going to be the bigger story because they got to the playoffs and are a team on the rise. And I'm not saying this as a Knicks fan, but you have to look at this through the casual fans' eyes. The Knicks, who are the very historic franchise in all of the NBA, if not sports, is now making a resurgence. You were the team that were supposed to run away, that everybody was jumping off the Knicks bandwagon mm-hmm. and going, we go hard, Brooklyn, all day. Yeah, yeah. Now you did not make it to those finals. The season is a failure. And, and again, you can make comparisons between this team and when LeBron, Bosch, and Wade all teamed up in Miami the first year. There's mm-hmm. a lot of comparisons you can make, including a lack of success in their first season. Let's not forget, they got to the NBA Finals in their first season and lost to Dallas. Yes. You know, so, but the difference here is they didn't leave. They didn't go, you know what, this ain't working, bye. They buckled down and they figured that crap out. This is going to be the test for Brooklyn this upcoming season. Are you going to have more of the same or are you going to look at what issues there were on the court, off the court, whatever, and buckle down? Because that's where greatness is forged in those moments of trials and tribulations. I agree with you. They're going to need to because if they don't, it's going to be a repeat of what we just saw. It'll If they don't win a chance, if this, if this threesome doesn't win a championship, it could have the potential to be the biggest bust in NBA history. It'll be up there when uh, Steve Nash and – or no, Carl Malone and Gary Payton went to the Lakers. Yeah, that's up there. Like you have to think about that. I mean, granted, they were at the twilight of their career, but the but, talent was still there. But still, you have to yeah. you have to you have to factor that in because yeah. once once you start putting super teams together, like you that, have to deliver. You have to, and especially in this day and age where everybody needs to form super teams, we don't have that luxury like we used to, where there'd always be a superstar on each team. Yeah, we all have everybody teaming up to win. If you wind up doing this again. And having the super team. And then, remember, you added Blake Griffin during the season. Mm-hmm. You had LaMarcus Aldridge before he retired. Yep. You were loading up on talent. Oh, yeah. And I know, uh, take uh, Aldridge out of the equation because, obviously, he had health issues and decided to retire. Yeah. You still had Blake Griffin, who was an all-star. Oh, yeah, who had dunked for the first time in, like, two years. Right. You still had those players around you. And, I mean, you just look at who all the teams that were in the playoffs. better. On, and this is on paper. Mm-hmm. Better than the 76ers. Better than the uh, Wizards. Better than the Knicks. Sorry, but it's true. On, no, I, on, paper, I, on paper, I agree with you. Better than the Hawks. Milwaukee, push. You know, because assuming ever on paper, assuming everyone's healthy, no one's hurt, push. Mm-hmm. Better than the Heat, I would say. And obviously, they're better than the Celtics. So, on paper, they should have won the out the East. They definitely should have. And the fact that they didn't, and you can say what you want, this is the problem when you have super teams. Yeah. If you have injuries... It hampers your team because you don't have bench depth. And this is what happens when you have super teams with three guys who all like the ball. Uh-huh. Because let's not forget, Rodman, when he uh, ended up with the Bulls, 
didn't give a shit if he scored one point or a hundred points. He got rebounds and he was happy. Yeah. I mean, everybody has a role on the team, but to see three guys that want the ball and want it in their hands at the end of the game, only one is going to be able to do it. Yep. And now you have to wonder, okay, how is the ego going to handle it and, that you didn't cash in? And you don't exactly, and this is no disrespect to him, but you don't exactly have a coaching voice with that team that can kind of clamp down on any nonsense with who's going to get the last shot or this or that in Steve Nash. Steve Nash, great player, rookie head coach. I agree with you. He hasn't had that respect. He has a respect of the players, but uh, yeah, like but you touched upon. It's as a player. Yeah, but he's not like a Coach Popovich. No. He doesn't have that kind of pedigree with them to really lock this in and really forge his vision for the team yet. I mean, honestly, if you have those three players on your team, do you really need a coach? No. I mean, let's be honest. To, maybe to fill out the starting lineup. Yeah, but, but you, know. you can just say, okay, <laughs> just be there for tip-off. Like, like, what do you need to coach with them? And especially, they're going to take games over. Yeah. And like you say, you have Kevin Durant who's coming back, but he what is he going to do if he's the last one standing? And you have James. I mean, we don't know what Harden is going to be in. And obviously, we assume next year he'll be in better shape. I would imagine and ready so. to go. But you don't know what you're going to get out of Kyrie. No. I mean, obviously, if he was run not not fully committed, I don't want to say running around. That's not the right terminology. So I apologize for that. But if he is not fully committed and not being at every game, say not taking three weeks off. Right. What kind of culture is being built in that organization? For the future. And you, and you know that's got to be bugging the players. Like on paper, oh, absolutely. On, on interviews and television and, and Twitter, they might not say anything. But you know behind closed doors, that's annoying the piss out of them that everybody else on that team is committed to long practices and god-awful hours in, frankly, days where they'd rather sit home, watch a movie, and just chill. But they're at the training facility working out. And you got one guy there who's supposed to be your starting star point guard, and he just don't give a shit. Yeah, it's a question that they're going to need to try figuring out for next season because now their offseason begins. They need to come through, and they need to pull something off because if you're going to rely on these three to carry you again, you had better hope that they're all in yeah, physically and mentally for yeah. next year because if they're not, this is going to be one of the biggest failures you're going to see because they have to go to the finals and win. They definitely need like a... I don't want to like a Julius Randle type who not a triple a star, but he's definitely like a mid-level star. I would say that like you you can depend on to be there if you really need him in a crunch time or even a guy off the bench. Well, the one thing we're seeing with this playoffs and now we're going to kind of segue to the other playoff series. You need to have a bench and you need to have players all committed and players who can make a jump shot. Uh-huh. Because if you don't have that core culture built on your team, where you have guys that are 100% committed. You could have all the all-stars on your team you want, yeah. but if it's all about me and I'm not fully 100% in, you're going to get beat out of the gym every single time. That's why in some instances a NBA all-star starting five in a regular season game only works in the video games. Uh-huh, and this is prime example of where we're transitioning to now because the team, as much as I don't want to admit this, has absolutely shown team basketball and is winning ugly and gritty, but they're doing it, is freaking Atlanta. Who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Oh, uh, They're winning right now, but like I said, let's face it, Braves ain't all that hot. Falcons suck. Not every team in that city can suck. No, they definitely don't because these Hawks beat the number one seed outright. Pad, let us break this down, shall we? Philadelphia, trust the process. At some point, you got to give the process up. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, 
Doc Rivers is now the head coach. Did not cash in and got beat in a pivotal game seven, 103 to 96. Mm-hmm. From a squad that is playing with house money, borrowed time, because on paper, they should not be here. No. At all. No, I mean, in all reality, this Cinderella story should have the carriage half turned into a pumpkin by now. Facts. And you can't say otherwise. Because the simple truth is, Trey Young and company are bawling out of their minds right now. So Trey Young averaged 29 points a game, 2.6 rebounds a game, and then 10.9 assists per game. It's absolutely wild. I'm sorry. Like, I will give him his due. I don't like him for what he did in New York, but you know what? I respect the game. I can do that with players. Yeah, New York hasn't had a player to hate in quite a while since outside of Jose Altuve. Yes, but, you know, for basketball-wise, uh, Trey Young is public, public enemy number one right now. Brooklyn is public enemy number two. But that's a whole different story. We have to give the due to Atlanta for getting here. Yeah. They're winning, albeit it's ugly at times. It's yeah. gritty. Yeah. It's boring in some aspects. But, hey, they're getting the W. I mean, their largest margin of victory was, what is this, like seven points, and that was game seven. They won uh, game one by only four points. They, let's see here, bah, bah, bah. they lost game two, lost game three. Uh, won game four by three points. Then they won game five by three points. So it's it's not pretty. It's not pretty, but they're doing it. And then to flip the coin, Philadelphia. Yo. Where do we begin here? Blow it up. Yeah, you almost have to wonder at this point. It's so bad that Ben Simmons is going to switch his shooting hand from left to right or right to left. How is and it? I, and I get it's ambidextrous. But the man is switching his shooting hand in the offseason because his shooting was that bad. How is it that we have a point guard that doesn't want to shoot? It's definitely different. It, it it doesn't make sense to me. I'm sorry. The more I try wrapping my head around this and figuring out what went wrong, a lot of it comes down on Ben Simmons. And I'm sorry. We understand the whole philosophy with what the 76ers have been doing has been trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. Okay, when your corner pieces of trusting said process is Joel Embiid, who when he's on the court is one of the most dominant players going. Yeah. You can't argue that. It's fact. You have a good number one. Yep. But your number two has been suspect. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm sorry. Case in point is game seven. The chances he's had to take that game over and just didn't for whatever reason. Yeah. Astonishing. Well, and and it ultimately, I think, came down to a lack of production from, well, everybody not named Joel Embiid, Seth Curry, or Tobias Harris. Because Joel Embiid for this series averaged 30.4 points per game. Seth Curry uh, channeled his brother's ability. Oh, yeah. Because he scored 21 points a game. Uh, Tobias Harris scored 19.4 points per game. But then everybody else, uh, Ben Simmons, only 9.9 points per game. Uh, Firking uh, Korkmaz, uh, 7.3 points per game. Uh, Matisse Thibault, uh, 5.4 points per game. Shake Milton, 5 points a game. You know, like, what? 
you need more scoring than just those three guys. So I will read you off the 76ers uh, starters for yeah. that game seven. Yeah. Harris had 24. Okay. Embiid had 31. Okay. Seth Curry, 16. Yep. Uh, Course Matt, five. Yeah. Ben Simmons, zero. Five points. Yikes. 36 minutes, field goals, two for four. So he zero av- three pointers. He averaged 34 and a half uh, minutes per game. So uh, when you were drafted as high as he was, you have to start producing. He for field goals made, he averaged three point nine, and he uh, attempted six point four. Yikes! I'm sorry. How is that justified? You are a point guard, and you only put up five points in a pivotal game seven. Thirty three pivotal. Thirty three percent from the free throw line for the series. Uh, only and this is Ben Simmons. Six point three rebounds per game, eight point six assists, uh, turnovers. I believe this is yeah. Turnovers was two point three a game, one point three steals, zero point nine blocks, and then three point four personal fouls. Pivotal. I like I say I can't stress that point enough. When you need to win or go home, you didn't show up. Yeah. No. Essentially. And this has been a running story that you're a point guard that does not like to shoot. No, he doesn't. I don't get it. I mean, you can take a look through through his timeline. He is somebody that needs to have that stepped up. Yeah. And and to flip the coin, Trey Young, he's a point guard. 43 minutes, 21 points in that game seven. Uh, Yeah, it's like I said, 29 points a game for the series. uh, 10.9 assists uh, per game for the series. 2.6 2.6 rebounds for the series, uh, 1.7 turnover or steals for the series, 3.6 turnovers for the series. It's a little high, uh, but no, good numbers overall. It's yeah, he is doing everything he can. I know his shoulders all a little banged up too. Sure, he is playing what he can do. And then to see the rest of his team, there was only one starter starter that didn't have four or double digit points, and that was Bogdanovich there who had a. Uh, Four points. Right, and I'm looking at their other players. Unlike Atlanta, uh, Philly, who only had three starter, three players in double digits, you had Trey Young averaged 29 for the series. Uh, John Collins averaged 15.1. Gallinari averaged 14.7. Uh, Bogdanovich averaged 13.3. Kevin uh, Huter averaged 13.1. And then Clint Capella averaged 10.6. Uh, I realize I'm no mathematician. I'm no rocket scientist. But something tells me having what was this five players average one, two, three, four, five, six, having six players average double figures. Uh, that's more than a starting five is a lot better than having three. Yeah. The Hawks want it more. They're hungrier. They're going to make some waves this next series. And to flip the side, Philly, when is it time to stop trusting the process? Uh, now you have to, you have you, you to have, move Simmons. You have done everything. I'm sorry. We've waited a long time to see what we're going to get out of him, and I'm sorry. If you can't produce in a playoff series to this level, you have to make some changes. I'm sorry. You have to. If he's not all in, and obviously the performance here shows it. Yeah. This is embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, he was drafted number one overall in 2016 uh, draft. He's got three years of experience, mm-hmm. according to NBA.com you know what you're going to get out of the guy. Yeah. Like at this point, it's not a, Oh, he's still developing. No, you know what you got. Well, and, that, and that, unfortunately it's one of the instances where had a lot of potential didn't pan out. 
No, it didn't. I'm, and I know his first season will put an asterisk by it because yeah. he was coming off that injury. Yeah. So, we'll, okay, one season will give him a, a partial excuse. At this stage in the game, though, you need to be productive or you're not. And I'm sorry. It's not there. So Philly needs to come up with some answers ASAP because you're wasting Embiid's time. He is doing literally all he can do. You have to get him some help. I don't know where you're going to go in this offseason to go get him some, but you need to because, let's face it, if you have another season like this, you have a number one seed in your conference, 49-23, 29-7 at home, yeah, and you put up a dud like this? Yeah. You can't say that this is trusting your process. Something is flawed here. You need to go in and reset. And it starts with Simmons because if he is the guy you drafted number one and is only producing this level, yeah, I'm sorry, it's not going to get the job done. You have to go out and get some other pieces. Or you have to try moving him and get something back in return. Except in this situation, I don't know if any team is realistically going to give you fair value. Right. Well, and I'm looking at the free agent class for this upcoming offseason. Uh, Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard both have potential outs. So you never know. Uh, but in terms of actual free agents, you do have Mike Conley uh, from Utah is going to be an uh, unrestricted free agent. Kyle Lowry from Toronto is uh, going to be a free agent. DeMar DeRozan uh, from the, is going to be a free agent. Otto Porter Jr. is a free agent. Victor Oladipo, Goran Dragic, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dennis Schroeder, uh, Danny Green, Andre Iguodala, just to name a few. Uh, and then maybe they don't get anything this year, looking at next year. Uh, John Wall, uh, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry all have potential outs. Uh, Chris Paul, or no, excuse me, Curry's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Chris Paul will be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, and then Bradley Beal, Jimmy Butler, Kemba uh, will ha- all have potential outs. So there's a pretty goddamn decent class in 2022. So it might mean moving Simmons this year for some picks, a la Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. who, let's face it, in a couple of years is going to have every draft pick in a year. Yes. Uh, maybe follow the Oklahoma City method and get some draft picks and then wait till next year because there's a pretty damn good, decent dra- uh, free agency class next year. It would be the smart move to do. And I'm sorry, the Sixers are going to need to make this move. As drastic as it sounds, and you're probably going, wait, they're a number one seed, and they're always contending. Yeah. No, at this stage, you need to evolve. Yeah. You have to do something I to mean, take your team to the next level. And like I said, Philly fans, I'm sorry. It might mean taking some lumps next year. But like, oh, yeah. you're used to taking lumps with your teams. Oh, exactly. I mean, this is just something that they need to deal with because, let's face it, if this is your franchise moving forward, you have problems. Holy fuck, I'm looking at this class next year. No, seriously, Philly, if you're listening, wait till next year. Good God almighty, Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, uh, Iguodala, Jonas Valenciunas, uh, Patrick Beverly, good Marcus Smart. Uh, holy cripes. Wait till next year. You got to do something. Whether you wait or you don't, you're going to have to do something because if you want to try giving Simmons one more shot, I mean, good luck, but if he's now trying to redevelop his jump shot at this stage in the game, Look out. I'm sorry. That just reads for disaster, in my opinion. Uh-huh. And you're not going to be advancing the process anywhere. You're going to be hitting reset and just down degressing. And that is a wild stat to take. So let's close this out talking. We now have our conference finals in the West. Yep. We got Phoenix and L.A. Yep. And in the East, we got Milwaukee and Atlanta. And if I'm not mistaken, I haven't gone back and listened to the, the episode, I think my finals pick is still in. Yes, I believe I picked, uh, and I could be wrong. I believe I picked the Clippers in Milwaukee, who both are still in. 
You did, Pad. Could be wrong, but I think that's who I picked. Memory serves me right. Uh, I think I think this is going to wind up being Phoenix and Milwaukee. I'd be all right with that. The Cinderella story is good with Atlanta, and I give the devil his due. Trey Young is making something happen with his team. That Listen, my football team can only leave that city broken for so long. Yeah, but he's making something happen. But if the I will say this right now, though. If the Bucks don't win this in five, oh. there's problems. Yeah. They're too talented. That if all of a sudden they just used all their mojo yeah. to beat Brooklyn. If if I'll tell you this, if Milwaukee because I don't actively watch the show, I'll catch clips of it on YouTube. If Milwaukee doesn't win win this series, I will tape first take for a week because it's going to be must watch television. Oh, that'll be it's Stephen A. will go completely crazy, and you know what? Every right to because Milwaukee is the most talented team still left in the playoffs. Yeah, oh yeah. So they should, in my opinion, Phoenix is up there. And if they can carry through and really push it, sky is the limit. That's why I say I like Phoenix to go ahead because L.A., I'm sorry, I don't trust the Clippers as far as I can watch them because we don't know what team is going to show up every night. No. Potentially on paper, they should run away with it, but we've seen them down this road before. I'm not super impressed with them. I'm not going to say that they're going to be a lock. I could see this going six, maybe. Yeah, it's going to – well – History with the Clippers this off this postseason, it is going to go at least six. Uh, they went all seven games against the Dallas Mavericks, who, mind you, Luka Doncic, and that was about it on that yeah. team. And then it went six games against the Jazz. Yeah, so we know it's going that at least six. It's going to go at least six, but I say I like I still like Phoenix there and Milwaukee. I'm going to say in five, and if they don't. Can you imagine Atlanta gets there? I'm going to say five right now, but it would not surprise me if it goes four. A lot of predictions to be made to be had for the rest of the NBA playoffs, but we gave you our picks. Now we want to hear yours. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your takes for the NBA playoffs moving forward? What do you think Brooklyn should do, and what do you think Philly should do? That's the big headlines coming out of this weekend. We definitely want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Wine, Dine, and Storytime. I'm Nidia. I'm Dana. I'm Cindy. And we're your hosts. Have you ruined a family gathering by asking what wine pairs well with eating a husband? Are you the CEO of TMI? Have you ever been kicked under the table because you brought up your favorite dinner topic, atrocities throughout history? Then this podcast is perfect for you. Each week, Dana and I share stories based on topics that include true crime, historical shenanigans, unexplained mysteries, and all things fascinating, while our amateur chef Cindy prepares themed dinners and pairs wines based on those topics. Find us, the Wine, Dine, and Storytime podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and give us a follow. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and time to talk some wrestling. Wrestling. This past Sunday was the WWE's quote-unquote last pay-per-view event in the Thunderdome. Uh-huh. And it was WWE Hell in a Cell. Yep. So we are going to give you our breakdown of what the card was all about, and Pat has got some takes, so get yeah. ready for them. So, Pat, let's start that recap, shall we? Yeah, so the first match you had took place on the pre-card and was between uh, Natalia and Mandy Rose, and you had Natalia emerge victorious via submission, winning in 9 minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, solid match. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously they're really extending this feud between the two tag teams. Uh, I don't like the setup because it's always somebody's interrupting somebody. Yeah. Like they're having a match and they're doing a photo shoot. And then this past week was somebody was doing an interview and they're having some sparring session in the ring. Yeah. The buildup for this feud has really not been doing anything for me, but I don't mind either team. So it was what it was. Yeah. I mean, the, the matchup 
kind of sucks because it makes no sense other than they don't like each other. But Mm -hmm. let's face it. Name me a female tag team on that entire roster that is natural, that isn't, like, thrown together. Unfortunately, we don't have that right now. Uh Uh-huh. Can't. I mean, prove us wrong. I mean, NXT is NXT, so that's a different. We want to clarify that before we start getting some comments in. But next up, though. Yeah, so this was the first match on the uh, main card. It opened up. It was the matchup for the SmackDown Women's Championship between Bianca Belair and Bayley. Uh, and this was in hell in a cell. Uh, and uh, Bianca Belair emerged victorious, pinning Bayley uh, in 19 minutes and 45 seconds. Bayley is vastly underrated for what she's doing these past few months. Yeah. Seriously, she has elevated everybody she's worked with. Oh yeah, and we all know because we we've seen her since NXT. We we always know that she's been great, but now since she's fully embraced the heel role and has been having classic matches. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously her feud with Sasha was epic, and seeing her now work with Bianca Belair. If you don't really appreciate what Bailey's bringing to the table, I don't know what to say because she is absolutely crushing it right now oh yeah no like the bailey turning heel was definitely a breath of fresh air for her because let's face it she done the bubbly you know baby face character for a while and it really wasn't doing anything it was kind of just a wash rinse repeat bailey wins oh shucks she loses the title on the next night Mm -hmm. but now there's kind of an air of legitimacy i don't i don't know if is the right word to it but like there's an air of like okay she can have a title run in her now and not lose immediately the night after a pay-per-view and it's great work. I mean, she's a great heel. She's annoying as all hell, which I know is the idea with that whole laugh thing. Yeah. She does. But, no, she's doing great work. She's doing great work. And I'm telling you, she is definitely raising that bar up even higher for that division because she is putting on classic matches. And this match with Bianca Belair inside Hell in a Cell, which you've yeah. never seen the cage before. It's an oversized steel cage with a roof on it. It's like 25 feet high, Yeah, like it's it's pretty impressive. Albeit, though, the red spray paint uh, has taken me a little while getting used to. made sense when The Fiend was around. Now that he's not, why? Yeah, I'm not a super fan of that. But I liked how creative they got with this match. I know Bianca yeah. was using her hair and oh, yeah. you know, I mean, tying it to the chair at one point and then tying it to her wrist to Bailey. Uh, it was very cool to see how innovative they got for that this. That KOD through the table, though. Yo. Yo. That was impressive. Ouch. And Bianca retains in a great match. Yeah. And like I say, I don't mind to see them run it back one more time before SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. I, like, I'm sorry. They're putting on great work. Even though usually Hell in a Cell is the blow-off match for yeah. feuds in yeah. wrestling. So yeah. we'll have to wait and see what they do here. But, I yeah. mean, I don't know how you top that. But I'm sure they'll come up with something. If they do, I'm okay with it. Yeah, no, great open. Uh, the next match was between uh, Cesaro and Seth Rollins, and you had Seth Rollins emerge victorious, pinning Cesaro in 16 minutes and 15 seconds. See, when this was originally announced, I thought they should have put this in a Hell in a Cell mm. because it's that kind of feud, and they've been battling back and forth. Obviously, Cesaro getting his big moment at WrestleMania, and they've been still dragging this out a little bit. Yeah, To see Seth win, uh, I'm a little torn. I'll be honest. I mean, it's Seth Rollins. Does he really need that push per se compared to Cesaro? Because now with Cesaro losing, where do we go from here? I think there's one more match. 
Uh, I think there might be one more match at Money in the Bank and then move on from there. You know, it was a great match, you know, between the two. I thought it was one of the better matches of the night. Not the best, but it was one of the better matches of the night. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed the hell out of it, especially especially Seth making the comment before the show where it was like, listen, there's not going to be any shenanigans involved. There's going to be no rain delay. There's not going to be any of the nonsense going on. I'm going to win. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was an enjoyable match. I mean, obviously, those two put on great work together. So yeah. wasn't mad about that at all, but it's kind of like, all right, I thought they missed a opportunity to yeah. to really set it off and really go somewhere with it, but yeah. it was what it was. So, like I said, I'm not mad about it, but yeah. puzzling that Cesaro, I, I fear, is now going to go back to the mid card. And, yeah, and I don't think so. I hope not. I, I, I really so. hope not. Uh, and for me, after this is where the card really started to take a nosedive. Okay. Uh, next up, you had Alexa Bliss defeat Shayna Baszler in a just a standard match, uh, pinning her in six minutes and fifty five seconds. Okay, this whole Supernatural Alexa Bliss thing is not doing anything for me. It's losing steam for me. I, I'm sorry. I don't really like when they go Supernatural in pro wrestling. Yeah. I understand it is what it is and it's story, but even when we have Bray Wyatt, yeah. no selling, I don't know how many finishers from Seth Rollins yeah. to be completely unstoppable, the same kind of vibe is happening here. And yeah. I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I tune out because... Yeah. There's nothing that's grasping my interest. I'm starting to tune out. The only thing marginally keeping my interest was when she did. She's doing the whole like possession, you know, poltergeist type of whatever the hell you want to call it, where somebody's outside the ring. I think the one week it was Naya. Uh, well, no, it was the the dude that's with them. Oh, uh, Reginald. Yeah, the one the one week it was Reginald, and he smacked Naya or whoever the heck it was. And then this past Sunday, uh, she did it with Naya. That's at least like, ooh, what's going on here? But there, let's face it. This is going to be another Eric Rowan with the spider in the cage situation. Yeah. They're, they're going to like, it's like, oh, how, what's going on with this? Is there going to be a payoff for this? Oh, wait, it's six months later and we're finally getting the payoff. I don't care. Yeah. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. No, they, like I said last week, they needed to inject something into this character for me to continue caring. And I'm starting to lose interest because they're not. Yeah. So we'll have to see what happens. I mean, obviously they are still having supernatural bliss happen yeah. on raw. And I mean, the contortioning with her body is cool. Yeah, I mean, you she, know, she does that whole like Bray Wyatt spider crawl thing, but she's facing the right side up and she sticks her leg through her arm or arm through her leg or whatever the hell it is. That's cool. Yeah, she is definitely trying to make the most of this character. So I applaud her for that. I'm not mad about that. She's trying to make it work. I just don't like the gimmick. That's just me. Next up, though, uh, was the matchup between Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And I'll be honest, I didn't even know this matchup was happening. I was real excited for this. Uh, you had Sami Zayn emerge victorious, pinning Kevin Owens in 12 minutes and 38 seconds. Well, first and foremost, it's a much needed win for Sami. Yeah. And these guys always put on solid work. So, oh, yeah. so you know, when you see them on paper, it's like, okay. I always hope for those long, drawn-out, epic battles. I do, too. And we only get them so long. I didn't mind this match. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was what it was. It's it's Kevin and Sammy doing Kevin and Sammy things. So, like I said, I did not know this matchup was happening because I don't get to watch Friday Night SmackDown a lot of times because I'm hanging out with my girlfriend and we're watching movies or doing watching a show, whatever. So until they were they got done with the Alexa Shayna match and they were previewing this one, I was like, oh shit, I didn't know this was on here. I had been planning on getting up and getting a drink, but I was like, ain't no way in hell I'm missing any of this match. Kevin and Sammy, shit, they're gonna be a classic. This might be match of the night. I got up halfway through and got a drink because I it just wasn't up to their usual standards. That it it, it I'm not gonna say it was routine, it was wash, rinse, repeat, but it just didn't feel 
I didn't feel the expectation. It didn't live up to my expectations. Yeah, I mean, it's something that it was. We know when those two are in the ring together, it's, it's always magic. Like you know how it's going to start. Yeah, they're going to run at each other. They're going to start slugging the shit out of each other. Yeah, and they decided to do something different for this. Like I said, I wasn't as upset about it. I just was like, okay, at least I got to see Kevin and Sammy fight yet yeah. again. Yeah, even though. They you supposedly know, weren't going to fight anymore. But yeah, no, it is what it is. But I think I'm hearing rumors that Kevin Owens has taken some time off. Oh, yeah, so. he said so on Twitter that he's taken some time off. Yeah, which he's more he, than he's deserved. It. He's more than deserved. He's earned it. Yeah, so. but like I said, not a terrible match, but just didn't live up to expectations. So I was a little let down. Uh, next up was your co-main event of the evening. Uh, this was for the Raw Women's title where you had Rhea Ripley taking on Charlotte Flair again. Uh, and you had Charlotte Flair uh, defeat Rhea Ripley via disqualification, so uh, Charlotte got the win. However, because it was a disqualification, uh, Rhea Ripley still retained the Raw Women's Championship. Yeah, this match. I'll be honest. I got up. I got a bite to eat. I got a drink. I went to the bathroom. I missed most of this match because, let's face it, we've seen it already. Yeah, like I kind of have like polarizing feelings about it because... I like both wrestlers. Oh, I do too. But I don't need to see Charlotte win again. Yeah, that was my fear going into this. Like, okay, we're going to have Charlotte win the belt again. Well, they're they're setting her up too at this point. Oh, it's going to happen. I mean, I think SummerSlam, she's getting it back at the latest. And I get why, and I don't argue with that fact because, let's face it, she's one of the best female wrestlers on the planet. She's one of the best wrestlers, period, on the planet. So you, But she's been so connected with the title that her chasing it for longer, I think helps Ripley out, mm-hmm. but I don't like to see the cheat to win yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I know that that's what they did with obviously uh, Ripley getting disqualified. I just was like, what's going to be the end game here? Well, yeah. And, and you had the ending and I knew something was going to happen and you got to Monday night raw and, and uh, what was it? Sonia Deville and Adam Pierce were in the ring and they brought out Rhea and they're like, listen, you can't do that. That's unbecoming of a, of a champion. Mm-hmm. And Rhea goes, oh, well, I listen, I didn't do anything other than what Charlotte would have done in my position. Oh, they go, oh, well, Charlotte's not the champion, blah, blah, blah. And, and I do enjoy the thing I do enjoy with this is how they're leaving on the mics or they're micing them up or they're hitting them with spot mics. Mm-hmm. Cause they hit him with a spot mic or whatever the hell, like you see in the NFL, they like they, you heard him very clearly and very distinctly after this match was over on the pay-per-view where you don't normally hear Like you might be able to make out what they're saying or even hear it faintly. You clear as day heard them after this match and dropping the F bombs and calling each other names. I was like, all right, I kind of like this. This is adding a little something to it, but to come out on raw and go, you know, for Charlotte to call, what is she called? Rhea bitch. Yeah. And, and Sonya's like, well, if that's how you're going to act and that's how you feel about Rhea, well, I guess you get your rematch. And I'm like, fuck it. Really? Come on. Yeah, it is a little corny. I will say one flaw, though, in the match I know I'm seeing a lot on the Internet complaining about is Charlotte was kicking Rhea, but Rhea was not aware. Uh, well, there was a bad camera cut. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where from the hard cam side, it looks perfectly fine. But somebody in the production truck, I don't know if it was the producer, somebody just hit a button when they weren't supposed to. They hit the wrong button and... uh Pulled back the curtain a little bit. Yeah, which, let's face it. That's not on either wrestler. That's on the production crew. It's on production. And every organization has had moments like hey, that. Hey, spoiler alert. I might be breaking kayfabe for a few people. When Adam Cole and the Usos super kick a guy, there's not that loud skin slapping motion. Yeah. Or skin slapping sound effect. That's them slapping their leg. Yeah. 
like I say, people need to calm down about it because everybody was going like, what is this? Oh, my God. Like, it's, a, it's a bad look, but it's not on Charlotte or Rio. Yeah, it was just it's something that got caught on camera bad. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, it's, it got caught on camera, and it's the day and the age of the Internet where, hey, it's going to be there forever. Trust me. If we really want to say about bad angles. And bad production. Do we remember about when AEW had that big brawl and the one wrestler was allegedly punching Dustin yeah. Rhodes, I believe, in the scrum and yeah. was nowhere near yeah. connecting? We'll say bad, bad production. Uh, if, if at the end of the time limit of this match, the ring is going to explode. Yeah. Pop, pop, fizz, fizz. Gotta call it always. Can't just say it's WWE right now. Oh, and there. I'll get that to it. I'll get to that statement in a minute. All right. Uh, but your main event was between Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship uh, in Hell in a Cell. And with the stipulation, if Bobby defeated Drew, Drew could not challenge Bobby Lashley again for the WWE Championship as long as he was champion. So I had a little bit of added stakes, you know, a lot on the line. And Bobby Lashley emerged victorious, uh, defeating Drew McIntyre via pinfall in 25 minutes and 49 seconds. Now, I do want to make note that they moved the Roman Reigns-Rey Mysterio junior yep. match yep. to Friday Night SmackDown, yep. still had it in a cage. Uh, was a very surprised at that. Was not expecting to see Roman not Ro- on a Roman just, Roman just wanted to ruin Rey's uh, Father's Day weekend. Yes. And they had an absolute brutal match. I yeah. mean, it was great for free TV, so I'm not yeah. mad about that. I mean, I'm not surprised about it I mean, because I know there's been some stories and reports floating around the dirt sheets that the networks in Fox and Universal, because they own uh, USA Network, that they want to have more themed shows and special yeah. uh, special events for the shows. So I kind of saw the Roman Ray match get moved to that as kind of like the first step in that. We might like I'm thinking we might start seeing stuff like NXT is doing where it's kind of like, you know, they you know they do Great American Bash, which used mm. to be a pay-per-view, but now it's kind of like a one-night, two-night thing on free TV. I would expect them to do more of that down the line when they figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Uh, but this seems to be a first step for me moving that match to Friday. This is an interesting perspective. I know that AEW, and I will give them this credit, they were the ones who really started doing yeah. these pay-per-view it's moments on their shows. Yeah, so I will give them their credit there. And I think it's a way for fans to have incentive to watch the weekly show. Right, and it, and it's a good incentive where if you've got somebody who like myself – who mm-hmm. on a Tuesday night is very jam-filled for television for me between Flash – Superman and Lois, NXT's on, and Lord knows what else is on, you know, sporting event or, you know, Yankees game or whatever. Mm-hmm. I got a lot to choose from. Yeah. And and if NXT does one of those special theme nights where there's a big main event, you know, a la maybe like the, the five way they just had it in your house, I might consider DVRing Superman and Lois and Flash so I can see that main event. So it's a good, and this could work on Mondays and this could work on Fridays where if you do these special themed events like AEW is doing and you make the show worth watching and something that feels once in a lifetime or you know it's a paper like holy shit like well they had the they had the Monday Night Raw match years ago and I saw this because the clip popped up on my YouTube recommendations when Shawn Michaels was the uh general manager or whatever for Raw and he made the and he made the main event it was what was it, it was Rock Austin and and Vince Versus, or like Vince was involved versus like Triple H, Undertaker. Like it was like, and then what was it? It was like five of the like Mount Rushmore WWE legends. Mm-hmm. And I go, holy fuck, they gave that away on free TV? Yeah. Like if they started doing stuff like that, you would get a lot of butts in the seats. You definitely would. And it's a smart play to do. So, like I say, I don't argue with the fact they move the match, but yeah. I, I can kind of see where they're setting up a little bit for yeah. it. 
But I was surprised to see Roman off the pay-per-view. I figured he would have made an appearance on there. Yeah. But it is what it is. But with the main event, though, this one, man. Should have gone off uh, five minutes sooner. Yeah, this had such an AEW feel to it. Yeah. And what I mean by this is the in-ring work, no issue with. No. I don't mind seeing Lashley and McIntyre wrestle. Surprise! The surprise they didn't break through the cage. I thought uh, it was going to happen. I was surprised it did not either. But man, oh man, did this match drag! Yeah, and we always say this with AEW, so I'm calling this completely fair. Yeah, AEW has good in ring work, sometimes great, but they do have their matches drag on about five, ten minutes too long. Yeah, same with us. This match did exactly the same thing. Yeah. And it, I, it, it started. It was good. It kind of hit a lull, and then you had uh, the you know the one ref got knocked out, so they had to bring in another one. And when the other the outside ref came in, MVP snuck in there. And then I, I got to say this was great on their part. They relocked the cage and locked MVP inside Hell in a Cell, and I was laughing. I was like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, you know. So that kind of picked things up back again, but then it kind of went into a lull again, and then it was, and then it kind of picked up again at the end. It was absolutely wild to see that they were smart enough about doing that. So, like I said, I was excited for it, but, man, did they drag it. Yeah, no, it did. I was excited for it, too, because I'm like, this is these two, they go hard. They they almost have a bit of a shoot match between the two of them. Yeah. They, like, that. they know they can go hard, and, they, you know, it's like when Superman faces off against Darkseid. Mm-hmm. Like, they know the other one can take it that they don't need to hold back. Yes. The same can be said for Lashley and Drew. Like, they're both hard-hitting individuals. They know they can dish it out, and they know the other one can take it. So that's what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting a barn burner of a match, but and it was to a certain degree. Just the lulls and kind of the dips in, in the matches kind of outweighed the great points. It just ran out of gas. Yeah, no, it did. And listen, it took away from the main event, in my opinion. Because now Lashley wins. McIntyre, on paper, mm-hmm. is not going to be in the title picture for a while. Hello, Roman. Yeah, this brings up a lot of questions that we have now to go for. Because we got a certain shakeup draft coming up. Yes, that is going to be happening in late August, I believe. At some point, near, yeah, near future. Yep, if it's not late August, it's rumored to get moved up there. So because Roman needs some fresh meat over on SmackDown. Well, that's one thing when you have such a dominant champion that's, that's making the moves. And for Monday Night Raw, I'm sorry, you need to switch up your roster. Uh-huh. There needs, I don't know what it's exactly it's missing, except the storylines currently are just boring. Yeah. I'm not a super fan of them. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely not a fan of Piper Nevin's name change. Yeah, I mean, you got that going on. You've got what is it, Kofi taking on uh, Lashley at Money in the Bank for the title? But I'm what, okay with that. I'm okay with it, but it's a it's a placeholder match. It's a filler match. It's a, it's a bridge to get to SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Kofi, I love him to death. I love the Power Rangers gear they've been wearing the last couple of weeks. It's awesome. I grew up watching the original season of Power Rangers. I love it. But it's a bridge. He's going to lose at Money in the Bank, barring something absolutely batshit insane. He's going to lose. Yeah. It's a shame, too, because Kofi's so super talented. But I agree with you. I think they're obviously setting up for Lashley versus Lesnar. Yeah. And I think that they want to get that in front of a lot of eyes at yeah. the biggest, second biggest pay-per-view of the year, maybe third, depending on what you want to define. Between. Depends on how you count attendance, too. Cause, yeah. Yo, they're going to pack that place. They're definitely going to pack that place. But for this card overall, ah. Uh, this this card and so this is kind of what I wanted to get into. This card was a dud. I know you you on Twitter did the poll and mm-hmm. I said dear Laura, I'd give this card a D minus. I would give it a D, a solid D because this card like 
didn't see the Natalia uh, Mandy Rose match because I was at my parents for Father's Day and I didn't get home. I, I was pulling into the parking lot at my apartment with my phone playing through the Bluetooth speakers in my car, uh, screen face down. So nobody think I was driving while watching my screen. I was listening to the audio. I didn't get to see the pre-show match, but I got to I got into my apartment right as the card was starting. The SmackDown women's title match was good. Rollins versus Cesaro was good. And from there, the card, you know, Owens and Zayn was okay. It wasn't great. could have been better. But the rest of the card was absolute shit. It was a turd. And, and that's really a disappointment. And so the kind of thing I wanted to bring up is all last week, I kept seeing stories and reports on the dirt sheets saying Vince knows the product is stale, that he, that he knows it's bad. Really? You know it's bad and you come out with this steaming pile of a turd? It's not past him or the creative team to change things up at the last minute. There's been more than one instance this year and last year of them rewriting Raw and SmackDown while the show is going on. It is not out of the realm of possibility for them to do the same for the matchups with these pay-per-views. And I'm talking with like the endings and or what you want to have do involved in the in, in meantime, in between time, in the middle of the match. But if you know, and and, I, and supposedly, from what I was reading, Vince knows the product is stale, but he's saving the big stuff for when crowds come back. Really, dude? That's a month away because, well, yes, they are returning to audiences for the pay-per-views. Are they going back to audiences for Raw and SmackDown? That's the only thing I'm not sure on. I believe that they are going to start working that out. Okay. In, in in their time, I don't know when okay. exactly the first raw in front of okay. um, fans is going to be again. I know it's coming. Okay. Because the thing I'm thinking is, if it's not for a while, and you're holding off all of these big surprises until the crowd comes back, which is going to be Money in the Bank, which is as we record now less than a month away. Are people even going to give a shit by that point if the show continues to be this bad? Yes, they will, and I will explain why. We touch upon this on 607 TWS a lot. The WWE has a unique set of fans that we all say are the universe marks. And they are the ones that watch week in and week out, no matter how bad the product is, no matter what is going on. Mm -hmm. Like Monday night, lock it in three hours in front of the TV. If the WWE is coming to town, they're going to shell out and go see them. Sure. No matter how bad the product is. Sure. So they're going to definitely come for that. So I fully believe that they are going to go in full force when they can go. Plus, with everything that has been going on for the past two years now. Year and a half, two years, yeah. Yeah. If you have the chance to go to a live event, Mm -hmm. how quick are you going to go no matter how... Oh, I don't. Oh, I don't doubt that. It's just by and large, like I used to be one of those people who was committed to Monday Night Raw every night for three hours. I'll be honest. Last night, I watched the opening just to see what's happening because it's after a pay per view. And most weeks, even if it's not after a pay per view, I'll catch the opening segment just to see what's going on. And if and if I remember, I'll check out nine o'clock because I always know nine o'clock. That's usually when something big happens. And I and I caught the nine o'clock hour this week. But after that, I tuned it out. I I woke up this morning. Saw an article from Cultaholic about, you know, the the gentleman who won and the gentleman and ladies, the seven matches or seven participants that got named for the men's and women's uh, five for the men, two for the women uh, money in the bank, money in the bank matches. I saw that was like, okay that's all I needed to know. Like I I essentially watched maybe 20, 25 minutes total. Once you count the opening segment, 
with with MVP Lashley and then uh, New Day, and then you and then the the whole thing with Adam Pierce, Sonya Deville, Rhea, and Charlotte was probably about ten minutes. I watched twenty five minutes out of those three hours, and that's all I need to know. Well, it wasn't anything super engaging, but I do agree with Vince about this. He knows his audience, and he can say the product is still. I agree with him. I do too. And I don't think there's anything wrong in that statement. But Vince is notorious for waiting for fans to come back. And that, and I understand that people are probably going, well, you know, his TV ratings are going to go down, X, Y, and Z. He's signed contracts with them. True. And no matter how bad those shows are, what is the number one show on Friday nights? Uh, SmackDown, as far as I know. Yeah, they're still doing at least 2.0. Yeah. At least. Raw. For as bad as it is. Near historic lows at certain instances. Yes. Is still doing over a mil a week. And they're still one of the highest rated shows on cable. It's a weird thing, but he's not feeling the pressure. But what I think he's waiting to see is, okay, we're going to go back on the road in front of fans. Mm -hmm. And that's the big thing because he wants to really sell that point then that's where he's really going to start making some money. Allegedly, they're going to be done with the Thunderdome completely July 12th, okay. if I'm reading online correctly. Okay. So rumored July 12th will be the last Raw at Thunderdome. That being said, he's going to really want to load up for getting back on the road and yeah. getting people to come out and see him because yeah. they do very well. I think that he's waiting for the right time, and he is somebody that doesn't like to cater to immediate panic. Sure. So I think what he is going to do is ride this out for what it was, and then, okay, well, now we're going back on the in the shows. SummerSlam is going to be the most stacked card you've seen in a long time. Yeah. Wouldn't so, be mad if they made that one two nights. No, I mean, they. It's, it's possible. I don't think they're going to, but it's possible. If they stack it enough, I would not be surprised. Right. But the fact that they're going to have their competition going on the road, and I know they're not worried about AEW, I just, but... I just thought of that. I don't think they can do that, because isn't NXT doing a card that weekend? Um, I think, I think that... I think, I, there's, I think no, there's, there's nothing announced, but I think the current rumor is the next NXT card will be SummerSlam weekend. It, it quite possibly could be. And if they're going to do that, then they won't do two nights, but still they'll have two nights of pro, of wrestling from the WWE brand. Oh, three nights of Friday, SmackDown, yeah, Saturday, Saturday, NXT, Sunday, uh, pay-per-view, Monday, Raw. Yeah, that's that'll be true. A, that'll be four, be four days. days. I mean, that would be a prime idea to do the draft then, too, but I don't know if they're going to exactly do that. But I think Vince knows it's stale, but I think he's just saying, let's ride the course out because once we get back in front of fans, we're going to get the true litmus test. What really works, what doesn't. Yeah. Because for what all we've been complaining about, the Alexa Bliss gimmick, that could be super over. I mean, it's, could one, be. it's, it's weird. It's one of the highest rated segments on Raw right now. Yeah, it could be. I know that I have been very critical because I was not impressed by the Nikki Cross new gimmick, yeah. the first gate out here, but that could be a big hit with fans. Yeah, could be. So I think that what Vince is saying is, yeah, the product's sale, but we'll get back on the road and we'll get the true testing and then we'll fix everything. Could be. Because that's how Vince works. So I agree with you. I mean, I think that they do got some work to do, but I think that he is just saying, let's wait until we really are back in business. Yeah. Because the thing is now, I'm not saying they're not motivated. They're on, they're on cruise control. But, I mean, what's the incentive to really go crazy on TV in front of no fans when, when yeah. you live for those moments where you see the crowd pop? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I understand that point. And I agree with your frustration, Pat. It's tough because I watch Raw until I can't, until I'm just like I'm going to sleep. Yeah. Because it's it's bad. It's bad. And I would love to watch three hours of Raw, but I know it's going to be a waste of time and I'm going to be 
pissed at myself for wasting time. Yeah. Well, I just sit there. So there's something to engage me. I watch and I'll, I'll stay there. I mean, they did some surprise uh, wins on this past Monday Night Raw. Sure. I mean, in the it, bank. and by contrast, when the, the occasional Friday I have off, you know, my girlfriend's busy. She's got family plans, friend plans. There have been some Fridays where, yeah, I'm playing a game, you know, but I've got my phone on, you know, next to me and I have watched all of SmackDown front to back. Yeah. Because SmackDown is a much better show. It gives you more incentive to watch. So just to tie it up, I mean, Hell in a Cell, it was a dud. I mean, that's all you can really say about it. The Bailey-Bianca Belair match was the key point. Which which card was better, that or Great Balls of Fire? Ooh, that's a good that's a, that's a good debate. I don't know. I'm kind of partial to Great Balls of Fire because Samoa Joe and Lesnar. Uh, they, they missed out. That's true. They did miss out on a great, great hashtag, though. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. But this, Use your imagination, folks. Yep, this card definitely didn't deliver on everything. It was just a solid card at, at best, but nothing really earth-shattering, no title changes. No, and I was kind of hoping for something surprising. Yeah, it just didn't happen, but I think now going into Money in the Bank, and especially that's going to be in front of fans, this is when you're going to see WWE pack, pack up again. I was kind of hoping Lesnar would show up at Hell in a Cell because I know MVP had been tweeting about him that day. Yeah, but Th- that he said, you know, oh, Lesnar's scared of, of Lashley. And I was like, ooh, are we teasing he's going to show up tonight, maybe? But but the thing is, though, Lesnar's waiting for that live crowd. Yeah. and, and He knows his business. He, it's not been announced. It's not been rumored out there. We know he's coming back at some point because, well, his profile did get moved from the alumni to the active roster on the website, which that's a good indicator of where they are. Yeah, because he was only going to come back for fans. Yeah. And that makes sense because he's a draw. I mean... It would be bad for how WWE has their contract stacked for his paid per appearance. Yeah, to waste it when nobody's yeah. in the in the in the in the building. I mean, yeah. I, I understand. I understand the logistics. Why? Because bring him on your show for for the purpose. But at the same time, it's like get that crowd pop because that's what everybody's gonna be talking about. Like to not sidetrack too much. Mm-hmm. But what's everybody talking about today? That was the big social event. The Foo Fighters concert at MSG where there yeah. was full capacity. Yeah, Dave Chappelle uh, singing Creep by Radiohead. Right, but that was, crowds are back. Yeah. Energy was in the building. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. WWE knows this, and that's what they're doing. So, like I said, they burnt a pay-per-view, no pun intended, with Hell in a Cell. And they were okay with it because it moves their storylines along because money in the bank in front of crowds that we're going to see this the change in direction. I'm just bummed. The matches are going to the money in the bank matches are going to be good. I'm just bummed that they're not going to be as funny and as great as they were last year with the cinematic stuff because oh. those were awesome. I I agree with you, but I, I'm I'm happy to take a break from the cinematic yeah, match. Uh, yeah, that's true. Because they are really running their course. Talking to you, AEW. But suffice to say, Hell in a Cell could have been a lot better. But you know, it really could have been a lot worse. But it it was close to bad, like real bad. But definitely a lot to work, look forward to when they're hitting back on the road. But in the meantime, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What was your thoughts about WWE Hell in a Cell? We want to know. We'll have that honest discussion. And what do you think your hopes are with the announcement that they're going back on the road starting very soon so we'll have fans in front of the cameras again at Raw and SmackDown? Oh, my. Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Greetings, henchmen and loyal subjects. I am Evan the Great. Now I'm JVD. We're your hosts of the fictional battle podcast, Crossover Collision, brought to you by the Villains Demand. If you love hearing in-depth breakdowns of your favorite characters and what they are capable of doing while fighting in random battlegrounds against other fan favorites, then this is the podcast for you. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or over on the Villainsman.com. 
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pat, what you got? I kind of talked that local minute uh, because as we record, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies are out of town this week. Uh, They're playing a series down in Reading uh, against the Fighting Phillies, I believe is their name. Hmm. Uh, And then next week, they're out of town again. They're playing Richmond, uh, who are the Flying Squirrels, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, However, fear not, they return home July 6th for a homestand against uh, New Hampshire. Uh, All games and times, uh, bingrp.com, because they're not back again after that until the 20th of July. So you got a real short window to catch them when they come home uh, back in uh, July. Uh, then switching over to some uh, other sports to talk about. Got to talk some college football uh, because the one I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I don't remember if it was last week or a couple weeks ago, but I know I mentioned it, uh, got a little bit of a follow-up today, and that is with the potential college football playoff expansion. Oh, okay. Uh, so reading from an article on CBSSports.com, uh, it reads, quote, the college football playoff board of, of managers on Tuesday approved a feasibility study of moving the college football playoff field to 12 teams. An expansion could... Uh, be form uh, may be formally be approved at an unknown future date. Moving to 12 would triple the field from the current four teams that have competed for the national championship since the college football playoff started in 2014. Uh, the rubber stamp for further evaluation was expected after the model created by the college football playoff working group was presented last week to the management committee, uh, which is 10 uh, FBS commissioners plus Notre Dame's athletic director uh, quote, Having heard the presentation made today by the working group, along with the management committee that joined us for today's meeting, the board has authorized the management committee to begin a summer review phase that will engage other important voices in the matter, said College Football Playoff Board Chairman Mark Keenum, the president of Mississippi State, in a statement. These include many people on our campuses. We have relationships with the Bulls and broadcast partners uh, with whom we will want to consult to explore the feasibility of the 12-team proposal. This too will happen during the summer study period. Having given the management committee the change to, uh, the charge to look into expansion, it is our duty to take their good work and ascertain whether it is feasible based on the feedback we receive. I caution observers of our process not to rush to conclusions about what this board may decide. The working group has presented us a thorough and, uh, and thoughtful proposal. There is more work to do, more listening to do, and more information needed before we can make a decision. We look forward to hearing more and learning more in time for our next meeting in September, close quote. So it looks like, you know, stepping down the road into possibly expanding the college football playoff from the current four teams to, it looks like if this uh, approval goes through, it'd be 12. Uh, But like they said, don't expect anything. Their next meeting isn't until September. So I would imagine we don't, if anything happens, I wouldn't imagine it happening this college football season. No. Because, well, they start in August. Yeah. You know, see games start in August. I would not imagine they switch things up this season. It wouldn't probably be until next season, but we'll see. Um, Kind of torn a little bit. I don't mind the playoff setup as it is now. No. But you're always going to have that one team that thinks they should be in. Yeah. So even if you expand it to 12, that 13th team is going to say, wait, yeah. what about us? Yeah. And, and it's the one problem that you have when you have all those conferences and you got to do, you know, the ranking system in X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, as long as it doesn't drag out the season that much longer, yeah, I'm okay. Like if you make some of your, I don't know, I want to say like, what do you do with all your bowls? And then well, if it cuts out some of that fluff in the in the middle, I know there, and I know some people might get offended with some of the bowls, but like, let's face it, there's a lot of fucking bowl games. Yeah, most of which I don't give two flying shits about until mm-hmm. you get until the big ones and the big matchups at the end. 
So if it cuts out some of that fluff in the middle that like, all right, it's two mid-major teams that I don't really care about and the country by and large doesn't care about unless you're an alumnus from there mm-hmm. or you live where the college is located, you know, cut some of that out, get rid of some of that. And if it adds some more great matchups between two great teams, I'm all for that. Yeah, I'm all for it if it goes back to the sports. But then again, once you start talking in sports as a business, then it gets a little dicey. Yeah. And that's the one problem they have is with everything going on with college football, you don't exactly get it just cut and dry about yeah. the games because it's a big money maker for schools. And obviously, when you start taking bowls away, that's spot- – I mean, it, it snowballs from there. Yeah, and speaking of NCAA and their business model, uh, great segue there. Uh, the NCAA's business model – Potentially could have gotten blown to smithereens on Monday uh, because the United States Supreme Court unanimously affirmed uh, a ruling on Monday uh, that uh, reading from an article on ESPN, uh, quote, provides for an incremental increase in how college athletes can be compensated and also opens the door for future legal challenges that could uh, deal a much more significant blow to the NCAA's current business model. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote the court's opinion, which upheld a district court judge's decision that the NCAA was violating antitrust law uh, by placing limits on the education-related benefits that schools can provide to athletes. The decision allows schools to provide their athletes with unlimited compensation as long as it is some way connected to their education. Gorsuch wrote that the nation's highest court limited uh, the scope of its decision on those education-related benefits rather than delving further into questions about the association's business model. Justice Brett Kavanaugh published a concurring opinion that takes a harder line, suggesting that the NCAA's rules that restrict any type of compensation, including direct payment for athletic accomplishments, might no longer hold up well in future antitrust challenges. Quote, the NCAA is not above the law, Kavanaugh wrote. The NCAA couches its its arguments for not paying student-athletes in innocuous labels, but the labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America, close quote. Uh, So, now, this doesn't mean that athletes are going to get paid for their likenesses and for their jersey sales and all this. This just means when it comes to education-related expenses... There's no stopping them. They have they have to turn around and, and foot the bill for this. Is what I'm reading. Is how I'm reading it. Yeah, this is going to be something to dissect once this gets all sorted out. But the fact the Supreme Court made that ruling, yeah, big, because, big move. Because if the way I'm reading it is before this ruling is, you get paid for tuition, you get paid for board, you get paid for your meal plan. You're on the hook for everything else. Yeah. When when in the argument the folks who brought this up which were uh, former players were hey listen the NCAA made 10.6 billion dollars last year mm-hmm. the the head of the NCAA I forget the exact figure but he made a couple million dollars himself you know oh you're concerned and I know one person was like oh you're concerned with how do you pay for a student athlete who's you know their tuition and ever all that might add up to like quarter of a million dollars a year when you make that at the gate of any Alabama football game. Mm-hmm. It's a wild scenario, as, like I always say, because when you don't realize about how big of a money maker college football is, it's a huge one. Let alone like college basketball, and oh, yeah. you, you can go down. 
Yeah, I can understand why the players would have a, a gripe about this. And, and it's been going on for a while because I know Jason Williams did an interview where he was talking about his time at Duke. Mm-hmm. And he remembers, and, and he said, listen, I, I came from a well-to-do family. You know, my mother was a double major and was a high school principal at the local high school, you know, I went to. Father had, was a, had a master's degree in something. I forget what he said. Father had a master's degree. So parents weren't exactly slouches, never ha- exactly had a rough lifestyle. But he remembers going to the Duke bookstore and seeing his jersey everywhere that mm. like it was like the number one jersey in the in the bookstore at that time and he's like how does this make sense that like i'm doing all this and yet they're getting the rewards for it yeah it's it's a crazy setup that i have right now but i am i'm happy about the ruling yeah i'm not mad about that one no. bit i am just curious to see how that fallout's going to be no and I, and I like what i forget i forget which supreme court justice said but it, they and i'm paraphrasing because i don't remember the exact quote but it was it was to the effect of you you wouldn't have all the all the restaurant owners in an area lower the wage of chefs uh what you pay a chef just on the expectation that people would want to go buy food from a lower paid chef yeah and and applying it to oh people want to go see a college football a college sport game because they're lower paid no that just might be what they're able to afford yeah it's a crazy scenario man i'm i'm excited to see how this plays out though cuz this Me is too. this is a game changer no pun intended but to see the impact this is going to have, uh-huh. just sit back and watch this unfold because to see how this changes up the the precedent for how they they run their yeah. their sports business, in my opinion, this is game changing um, and very rare for the Supreme Court, especially these yeah. days, to rule unanimously. So there ain't no wiggle room on that ruling. No, that's lock, stock, and barrel right there. So stay tuned for more information. Dot dot dot. Uh huh. Switching gears, this past week, there was a boxing match going on. Oh. And we do know who this fighter is from his MMA days. Oh, I heard about this. Anderson Silva. Saw a highlight. He looked pretty good. Put on an upset performance, I guess you could say, uh, stepping into the boxing ring, not MMA. Yep. And defeating Julio Cesar Chavez via split decision. Yep. Uh, winning two, uh, two judges' scorecards, 77-75 on Saturday night. So this was wild to see because I did not realize. Yeah, give him give him his flowers 40-whatever 40, 40 years old, good for you, sir. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, he looked – I don't want to say he looked like Silva of old. I'm uh, not, I, I'll I, say it because he was taunting like Anderson Silva of old. Well, he was really trying to get something out of him because this is absolutely just crazy to see that at this stage in the game he looked like Silva. And like I said, uh, according to the article uh, from ESPN, uh, he has not competed in boxing since 2005. Yo, that's been a minute. And he's only had two bro, two pro boxing matches. I mean, obviously. We what know, ring rust. Yeah, we know his degree of skill from the MMA world. So, uh, yeah. I Anderson mean, Silva versus a Paul brother confirmed. Oh, I, I would love to see that. I, you, I wouldn't buy it, but I would love to see it. I'm just going to put it out there. But, yeah, so kudos to Anderson Silva, man. That's absolutely bonkers to me that he won that boxing match. Uh, and speaking of some MMA news, a uh, little depressing news, uh, Max Holloway had to withdraw from his fight against Yair Rodriguez Aww. due to uh, an undisclosed injury. So Yikes. the fight that was originally scheduled for July 17th is up in the air. The, as of recording time, we don't know who is going to be stepping in to replace uh, Holloway in this. Um, Cowboy. Uh, you never say never, man. Um 
But I am going to be definitely interested to see what they do for the featherweight bout because uh, that could have had title implications going mm-hmm. on. So who knows who's going to jump in. Uh, definitely stay tuned for that because they'll have some more information as we progress on the next couple weeks. And to close out, let's talk a little more basketball. Okay. As we are recording tonight, it is the NBA Draft Lottery. Wow, 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 wow. Taking place 8.30 Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. Rigged. So, yeah, this is one of the most interesting ways to do a draft because Rigged. it's ping pong balls. It's <laughs> Rigged, case uh, in point, uh, Patrick Ewing. Yes, the frozen envelope. This is a wild percentage thing because teams – Case in point, the Cavaliers. Yeah, because – there is the percentage of how you land your pick, and there's only a certain few that, even though you have the more ping pong balls in in the cylinder. Well, let, let me explain it to the, to you this way. Uh, this is especially for our overseas listeners who might not know how this goes, uh, folks. If you're playing in a league, pick your sport, uh, and you have a draft next year, so you have prospective players uh, from your local schools, your universities who are looking to enter said professional sport, mm-hmm. uh, and you have a draft. Uh, you would think that at the top it would start with the worst record team because, hey, they need to get better. And it would slowly and incrementally go until you got to the team that won the championship because, hey, theoretically, they just won a championship. They don't need all that much help. Now, obviously, shenanigans can ensue with trades and trading draft picks. Hello, I'm looking at you, Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. But in theory, that's how it should work. Right. Not how it works with the NBA to a point. Now, I know at from, what is it, like 11 all the way to the bottom? Uh, to the last pick of the first round. That is how it works. Yes. That, that records and all that. But with the top 10, it's all ping pong balls. So you could, in theory, have like the worst record in NBA history, but end up with like the five pick. Yeah. It makes no goddamn sense. No, it doesn't because they were having problems, you know, to make sure it was being held on the up and up for teams tanking and all that. Well, and it's been there's been suspect of it for from folks for like 30 years. Yeah. So we'll put the allegedly allegedly on the the podcaster term. So allegedly tanking. But we we don't want Adam Silver coming after us. No, we don't. So we like our MVA uh, package deal. So uh, that being said, uh, so it's going down. And the big name touted around for being the number one draft pick this coming season. Coach Duffy. Uh, that's where we think he is, but is actually Oklahoma State's Cade Cunningham. Oh, so he's staying in, he's staying in the state because, well, let's face it, Oklahoma City has every pick this year. Yes, yeah, so Oklahoma State, well, he might wind up there. That would be a huge win for them if they can get him. Uh, so it's going to be a little crazy with the odds. I mean, Houston's in the mix, Detroit, Orlando, OKC, like you touched upon. It is absolutely crazy to see how this is going to get broken down. So if your team did not make the playoffs this year and you're an NBA fan, you're going to be tuning in to watch and waiting on the big ping pong ball to emerge at the right spot for your team. Unless Oklahoma City has your draft pick because, well, let's face it, they have the draft pick to everything, including my lunch money. Yes, this is true. I will not forgive or forget when Zion did not make it to the Knicks and we got number three, but we did get RJ. We got, we got a year of, of shows with you and coach saying he's going to come to New York. I, the stars all aligned. And then we got given that curve. The fact that we got the, after five, I was like, Oh wait, we, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. You made up for it the following year with the Rangers. Yes, we did. Cause we are Rangers sound blue, blue shirt nation stand up, uh, which by the way, new head coach too. Hey, saw that. Yeah. So happy about that. But we have to talk to the NBA though. Cause Zion, I, I ironically not happy in new Orleans. Oh, I know they just got rid of their head coach, Van Gundy. Yeah, hearing, which I'll be admit, I'll admit, didn't know he was coaching down there. Hearing some rumblings, he's not happy. Come to New York, make everything well, was right. It, was it him or Giannis that was gushing about New York? I can't remember. Giannis was gushing ah, too. Okay, but I'm not. I'm, 
listen, we'll, we'll see. I trust Leon Rose. So as long as James Dolan stays out of the front office, everything will be okay. If he starts coming there, listen, Knicks fans, I t- I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times, buy a CD. He'll think he's a rock star. We'll go on tour. Fingers crossed. Let's make it happen. So that being said, the draft is tonight. If you give us your picks after, you know, like let us know how your team shapes up here on the hashtag ODPH pod. We definitely want to know. So let's see what happens there. So that all being said, Pad, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH podcast is that of Brian Wolf. You know he's got a new website, right? I do. Where do you go find out about that? Uh, ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You can check out everything going on with Brian. You can go check out everything going on with Second Suitor, who's got brand new merch. Tom Jolo, who's got that fire album that you can sign up for right now and have it downloaded to you. It's, it's a crazy concept he's got, but, man, you just need to swing on over and do it. You can also check out everything going on with our good friends Shout at the Robots. They have a live show coming on this Saturday night. Mm. I am excited about that. You can also check out everything going on with Yard Party, Floodlands, all the great bands that give us their music that we play here on the show each week. Also, while you're at the webpage, swing on over to the directory. It has friends of the show, such as Dragon Master Games. They support 607 Podcasts. They allow us to do the streaming and a lot of cool events at their place. Plus, if you're into gaming, you need to go there if you're in the 607. If not, you can go buy stuff from them online. Tell them the ODPH sent you. They'll probably say who, but they'll say, just kidding. And they'll say thank you for your business because they're great people. You can also check out Organizational Link Support Black Lives Matter. You can also check out all the amazing pod groups we are in via their Pod Chaser page. Because, Pad, I say it once. I say it a thousand times. If you're in a pod group and your group is not represented on Podchaser, are you really in a pod group? Allegedly, no. Allegedly, no is the right answer. But that's why we shout out the Apocalypse each week. That's why we shout out the Innered Circle each week. And that's why we also say it's Podlift Tuesday. So if you're looking for a podcast... Definitely go on ARR Radio FM on Twitter. You can find the Podlift and find your new favorite podcast today. We'll give them a plug too. You can also definitely check out the list that has six or seven podcasts on there. And our good friends over at 8122 Productions, Rich, Ron, Mike C., and of course, the leader of the Minnow Nation himself, the one and only Big Natty Cool. He's still on Twitter, Pat. Good Lord. And there's no stopping him. He is getting stronger each day, folks. If you're not checking out everything they're doing on their Patreon, you definitely need to swing on over to patreon.com slash 8122productions. All of that, the T Public Store, the Twitch links, parlay points with new comics blogs up this week, and so much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken. I'm. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.